You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Uh, I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed, in the name of Allah the gracious and merciful. Uh, peace be upon you, good morning, and welcome to the breakfast show of the Voice of Islam with Imam uh, uh, Farid Ahmed and myself, Farid uh, Ahmed. The time is uh, almost uh, four minutes past seven, and it is uh, the 21st of October 2022. Uh, we have a packed program this morning, as always, on the breakfast show. Uh, it is an interactive broadcast. It means that our uh, listeners have the opportunity to join in and the discussions taking place uh, during the course of this uh, broadcast. All you need to do is to pick up the phone and dial 0208-687-7878 and share your thoughts with us. Alternatively, we can, uh, uh, you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And in a few minutes' time, we'll uh, give a brief rundown of the weather before going on to uh, review some of the news stories that are doing the round these days. Won't be spending too much time on each, but uh, trying to rattle through as many as possible uh, throughout, well, during the first half hour before we hone in on uh, two topics that we want to deal in some depth. Now, the first topic uh, is um, uh, concerning um, what is forbidden in Islam is uh, the consumption of alcohol. And uh, apparently, uh, a research saying that, uh, or questioning, can you drink alcohol and live a healthy healthy lifestyle? Uh, So that's going to be the title of the first topic. And we'll be bringing this with the with the uh, happiness coach and, uh, dare I say, voice of Islam skeptic, Khalid Zafir, uh, along with Dr. Uh, L- uh, Laura Kudrana. Doc- uh, Dr. Kudrana is assistant professor at the Institute of Applied Health Research in the University of uh, Birmingham. Uh, we'll be covering this subject between 7.30 and 8 o'clock, up to the 8 o'clock news. Uh, so do make sure you're tuned in during these times if you are interested in this particular topic. And as mentioned before, if you want to uh, share a comment, uh, a view, then uh, please uh, dial 0208-687-7878. Or if you want to use a more modern method uh, of communicating that Twitter, then Voice of Islam UK is our Twitter handle. Um, We are also going to be uh, talking about the second of our main topics. It's about um, uh, International Stuttering Awareness Day, apparently. Uh, that's commemorated on the 22nd of October. That's tomorrow. Um, and we will be addressing uh, this uh, from 8 o'clock onwards, just after the 8 o'clock news. And to further our understanding uh, of um, International Stuttering Awareness Day, we expect to speak to Caroline Andrews from the University of Strathclyde. She's a speech and language uh, therapist and lecturer uh, there. And uh, we also hope to be talking to Anita Blom, who has been a board member and chairperson of stuttering organizations on the local, national, and international levels. And in this part of the program, we shall further be gleaning the thoughts of uh, Jamie Guggen, uh, Jamie is the uh, co-founder of Stuttering Awareness Mental uh, uh, Wellbeing uh, in Ireland and uh, has also uh, featured uh, in other uh, organizations as a, as, a, as a member and a lead member. 
Uh, and uh, so it'll be interesting to talk to him. And uh, finally, we expect to be joined by Shamina, representing Unlocking, Unlocking Language Organization as well. So lots to do, lots to cover. And as always, we shall have a full review of the Islamic angle as well on all that we discuss. So without further ado, we'll go for a very, very short break. After that, we'll be back and talking about uh, the weather and what's uh, uh, been on the news in the past few days. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show, The Voice of Islam. Uh, the time is uh, 8 minutes past 7, and it is Friday, the 21st of October 2022. Now, I'm just trying to get hold of the weather, if I can. Um, the uh, BBC weather forecasters are saying that today a variable cloud and showers across Wales, Northern Ireland and much of England will be uh, experienced and these will be bringing a risk of thunder, uh, but brighter with fewer showers for Scotland and the far east of England uh, is going to be breezy. Um, tonight the southern half of the UK will gradually become largely dry with long, clear spells. The north will uh, uh, remain cloudy uh, with scattered uh, and some heavy showers. However, the uh, winds will decrease. So very much uh, an autumny, wintry weather that we're going to be experiencing. Um, but still, overall, because of global warming, uh, I think that many would agree that uh, the weather has become a lot milder uh, less cold in the UK than it used to be, uh, certainly what I can remember when I was young. But anyway, that's uh, uh, something for another day, a discussion for another day about global warming. Uh, we have to move on with uh, what the agenda that we have got uh, this morning. Um, as far as the uh, news of the Hamdi Muslim community is concerned, His Holiness returned back from a very successful a visit to the United States uh, where uh, a landmark uh, mosque was opened, Fatehzim is his name, um, um, in Zion um, near Chicago. And uh, another mosque in Texas was also opened. Uh, he's only arrived back on UK shores uh, um, Monday or Tuesday earlier this week. Um, uh, so that is uh, the big news as far as the uh, Amdi Muslim community is concerned. As far as uh, news uh, in the wider media is uh, concerned, uh, well, huh, uh, there's no guessing as to what the big story is. Uh, I always say that uh, the breakfast show on Friday is aired when big stories break. Uh, we uh, were on air when uh, the uh, news of the Brexit results uh, was filtering through. Uh, we were on the air uh, during the 19, uh, 20, 2019 elections when uh, that result was being uh, announced. 
And then uh, we were also on air when, uh, sadly, we had to announce the demise of our uh, queen. And uh, um, resignations that took place uh, also were uh, big news at the time when, uh, or breaking news, should I say, when, at the time when we were uh, on air. Uh, now, the big story this week, or this time round, is regarding this resignation of our Prime Minister yesterday. Uh, a process to enact a new leader of the governing party has been announced, uh, with a new Prime Minister to be unveiled uh, by the day of our next Friday breakfast show, uh, which is going to be on the 28th. Um, this means that this trust uh, will go down in history as the shortest serving Prime Minister in British history, uh, just 53 days if that is the case. I mean, if uh, we are able to announce on our next broadcast, it would mean that she's been in office for 53 days, and that um, beats the previous holder of this accolade of being the shortest Prime Minister in British history. Uh, the record holder was George Canning, who lasted 119 days back in 1827. Uh, he, unfortunately, had to... Um, um, he was over overcome by death. That's the reason why he lasted uh, so... Um, um, uh, not so many days, 119 days, uh, but I suppose it was a difficult, uh, a, a different death that was experienced by this trust, a political death, unfortunately, um, lasting uh, at best 53 days. Uh, my matters finally came to a head on Wednesday earlier this week when, um, after defiant uh, PMQs, I think she performed quite well there and quite... Um, uh, robustly defending her position. But anyway, after that, uh, the, uh, the Prime Minister was having to insist uh, on all her MPs voting against a motion tabled by Labour on a three-line whip. It was to do with fracking. And although the Conservatives won that comfor comfortably, there were complaints about the st uh, strong arm um, tactics used to persuade MPs to vote in the way the party wanted. The chief whip and the deputy resigned. As if this was, as, as if this was not enough, uh, the Home Secretary, Swella Berriman, uh, quit uh, due to a procedure error that many believed was not in itself a resignation matter. But uh, uh, to be perfectly correct, it wasn't the fact that she resigned. Uh, apparently, she was asked uh, to um, be. She was asked to to go. Uh, the fact that there was a huge row between her and the prime minister only hours earlier indicated much more was amiss. Confirmed by the language used uh, in the letter that was tabled by the uh, ex-home secretary to the prime minister. Uh, what followed, it seems, was a barrage of letters, emails, uh, phone calls by conservative MPs to the chairman of the influential 1922 committee of backbenchers, urging for something to be done. Uh, Graham Bailey, uh, the chairman, met the prime minister evidently at her behest, and the rest, as I say, is history. Um, now, there's a frantic clamor for votes by candidates uh, hoping to secure nominations for the vacancy. Uh, they need 100 supporters in the first instance, after which uh, the list will be reduced to two, and then the party membership will have a say of which of them uh, they would uh, put uh, in office. Chances are 
that when the list has been whittled down to two and should be done very, very quickly, uh, one of them will drop out at that stage so as not to bother the rest of the membership from having their say. Uh, That's an unsaid rebuke to the membership that led to the election, which gave us Liz Truss uh, last time, some would argue. Um, This time, uh, last week, uh, we were wondering what measures the Chancellor would be taking to maintain the policy of his mini-budget. But things uh, have gone so fast that far from considering measures on the mini-budget, measures have been taken, had been taken against him and he was out of office before the end of the day. So we're talking uh, in um, political terms, ancient history now, we're talking about Kwasi Kwarteng, uh, who uh, left office uh, last week uh, and uh, was replaced by Jeremy Hunt to steady the ship. But since then, uh, things have uh, matters have taken their toll, and even the Prime Minister has had to depart from office. Um, Things, uh, although have been steadied, do look ominous as far as um, uh, um, the public are concerned because cuts are very much uh, on the horizon. Uh, When the new Chancellor made his statement in the House of Commons (laughs) on Monday, um, he made it clear that cuts uh, to public spending will uh, need to be made and taxes may have to rise. What many are worried about is how uh, those who are vulnerable are going to cope if cuts are are made to benefits in real terms and the support that pensioners get is going to be reduced. Although uh, Liz Truss, before leaving office, said that the triple lock which preserves the the pension rates um, uh, will uh, will be retained. Um, So uh, whether that uh, policy is adopted when the new Prime Minister comes into office is another matter. The NHS, who many accuse uh, Jeremy Hunt of decimating when he was Health Secretary, is already on its knees due to poor funding. So if cuts are going to be made in that area, then that is a cause for concern. I mean, how is that department going to function if its budget is cut? The annoying reality uh, is that the defense budget set to rise uh, um, by 3% of GDP by 2032 is not going to be cut. Uh, Apparently, there were uh, some musings about um, uh, resignations in the trust government if that was going to be the case. Now, that's annoying because we appear to continue to spend more on killing and destroying others rather than spending on preserving life and improving uh, our own lives. Uh, Where is the logic in that, people ask. We've spent uh, billions in destroying other nations and now supporting a nation on our own continent, Ukraine, which is refusing to enter on peace talks with its adversary. Instead, we are content in stuffing it with more armaments for which we are paying and then putting sanctions on Russia, which is delivering high energy prices and further misery on us. It doesn't make sense, does it? Uh, What do you think? I mean, at least that's one uh, viewpoint uh, that is being made. Uh, uh, But others would say, and we have to present the contrary argument, we are balanced, we try to be a balanced show. The contrary argument is that uh, we are fighting to, to defend freedom if we don't stop uh, the aggression of Russia now, then we don't know 
where we will end up, uh, it will perhaps uh, attack other nations uh, as well. So uh, we have to stop uh, an aggressor, uh, aggressor nation uh, in its tracks uh, early rather than wait for it to overcome Ukraine and threaten uh, other parts of Europe after that. That's the other argument that is being given, and therefore it is argued that it is money well spent uh, and the other uh, and the third argument that is given is not just about Ukraine. Uh, to spend more on our defense budget is right because we have to maintain the security of the nation in what is becoming a more uh, dangerous uh, world, especially with the rise of China and uh, the um, aggressive nature of Russia. I don't know what your views are, uh, but these are the two two sets of views where people feel on the one hand that it's a waste to spend money on armaments and spend money on defense. We should be more George Orwell rather than war war. And the other side, which is saying that we have to uh, become robust as far as our, our defense is concerned so that um, we are not seen as pushovers uh, on the world stage when it comes to such aggression. Uh, whatever your view is, do, do let us know and do uh, share your thoughts with us. Um, moving on, banning snacks makes uh, children fatter. Oh, well, this is a report from a study conducted by Imperial College London, where researchers found that those children who had grown up with strict parenting when it came to food, like insisting they dress up for meals or clean up, clean up their plates uh, at the end of uh, dinner, were more likely to grow up fatter than less insistent or less authoritarian parents. The study followed uh, 10,510 children in southwest England, measuring their weight at regular intervals until they reached 21. They found that those with stricter parents were one and a half kilograms heavier on average than children with lenient or supportive parents. The same was the case for children of negligent uh, parents in that they were also found to be heavier on average than, uh, than children uh, with, uh, with lenient or supportive parents. It reminds me of the teaching of Islam, which advises believers to adopt a middle way to get the best out of children. Uh, we should neither be too strict nor too carefree, uh, but adopt moderation when raising our children. Well, uh, as far as this research is concerned, the lead author uh, was Alex, Alexa Siegel, and uh, she presented a paper uh, at the International Congress on Obesity in Melbourne, and she says, and I quote, Authoritarian mothers are characterized by being demanding and controlling while having low warmth and responsiveness. This could lead to them not responding to the child's hunger cues by, for example, not allowing them to select a snack when hungry or asserting control over the... Um, let me just see. Uh, because this is a quote, I need to get it accurately and uh, absolutely correct. She said that... Um, um, this could lead to them not responding to their children's, I mean, she's talking about authoritarian mothers, um, that they, uh, it could lead to them not, the children, it could lead to the children not responding to the child's hunger cues by, for example, not allowing them to select a snack when hungry or asserting control over the child's food intake by putting them under pressure to clean their plate when they are not hungry. This control means the child does not develop the ability to regulate their own energy intake so they might overindulge 
when they have the ability. Future childhood obesity programs could and should include parents supporting classes where parents learn the importance of parenting style in preventing obesity. So that's an interesting piece of research uh, conducted uh, at uh, Imperial College uh, about uh, how we should raise our children and how if we don't uh, give attention or give too uh, low an attention to our uh, children, then it will uh, cause, um, it will give rise to consequences uh, other than bad behavior, but consequences that do lead to obesity, certainly according to this research. One other story uh, we still have time for, in fact, we, two other stories we can perhaps cover. Um, this is uh, dislike of Mondays. Um, back in 1979, there was uh, um, a school killing. Um, Brenda Spencer opened fire at Cleveland Elementary uh, School, uh, um, murdering the principal and a custodian, as well as injuring eight children and a policeman. And when she was asked uh, why she did that, she said that I don't like Mondays. It gave rise to uh, a song as well, from what I remember. Uh, and the reason I'm mentioning this is that in a recent poll, the majority of us do not like Mondays. Perhaps they like Fridays better. Uh, but Mondays is uh, is one day of the week that is not very much like. Um, let's hope no one uses that as an excuse to inflict carnage. But, but it is one of the factors the need to be addressed when dealing with mental health. That's why it's it's uh, relevant. Uh, almost 7 in 10 of us regularly get the Sunday scaries, according to the Times. This was recorded um, in Times last week. Um, now, uh, it's reported that uh, 7 in 10 of us are fearful of the onset of the new week on Monday, stricken with worry, uh, in a poll of nearly 4,000 people, it was found that 55% felt this unease uh, the day before, that is Sunday, rising to 74% for those aged 18 to 24, uh, just outside my age bracket. Uh, what is that about? Uh, work, uh, lack of sleep, and looming to-do lists. The Office for Health Improvement and uh, Disparities. OHID, I didn't know that an office like that existed, but it does apparently. Uh, it has launched a Better Health Every Mind Matters campaign, urging people to do small things to help their mental well-being. So mental health is uh, rightly very much high on the uh, agenda, and uh, this is uh, one of the factors that needs to be expressed, this feeling of um, concern, worry, worry, anxiety, uh, over uh, Mondays the night before. Right, and uh, if you have any thoughts on this or any of the other stories that have been mentioned, then please do ring in. Our number is 208 687 7878. Uh, and you can, of course, uh, use uh, Twitter. Twitter handle is Voice of Islam UK. One other story is uh, vaccine for cancer. That's what the heading of this item is. Amidst all the bad news, there is this that uh, should give us some uh, reason for optimism. Uh, following the research in seeking a vaccine for COVID, scientists believe that using the same techniques, they could find a preventative cure for cancer before the end of the decade. 
the husband and wife team, Professor Ugor Sahin and Oslem Tureci, played a significant role in developing the biotech COVID vaccine. The vaccine uses the mRNA to give the body a blueprint of the coronavirus's spike protein. This tells uh, uh, cells to make copies of the protein which teach the immune system to recognize and fight it. Uh, and uh, the couple uh, had been working on the treatment of cancer prior to the pandemic and diverted their resources to finding a vaccine for COVID. Now, uh, what they have learned from that experience has given them confidence that a similar approach uh, when they are addressing the issue of cancer will uh, enable them to find a cure before the decade is out. Let's hope that is indeed the case and we are rid of this scourge that uh, prevails in our um, health and well-being. And finally, I suppose um, uh, we can uh, also mention this uh, rather scary story, flesh-eating bacteria. Well, uh, that's what's found in uh, Florida after the hurricane. Uh, it's resulted in more uh, devastating consequences than normal. Uh, at least the hurricane uh, uh, has resulted in more devastating consequences than normal. Not only has property been damaged and people lost their homes, but because of it, a more sinister killer, as mentioned by this heading, has surfaced in the form of flesh-eating bacteria. Uh, officials in Lee County, Florida, recorded 29 illnesses and four deaths due to bacteria that emerged from warm, brackish water um, that resulted from these uh, floodwaters that uh, were left standing. Uh, the bacteria enters the body through cuts and open wounds, and if not treated, can lead to death. Uh, the bacteria has been identified as Vibrio vulnificus. Uh, it is known as flesh-eating bacteria because it can cause a condition known as necrotizing facilitus, of uh, necrotizing facetus, uh, which uh, causes tissue to break down. Victims can die within a day or two becoming ill. It can also cause sepsis, which, uh, if, uh, uh, which is caused if it enters the bloodstream and can sometimes lead to amputations to prevent its spread to the rest of the body. So a very worrying uh, uh, occurrence there in uh, that part of the world. Let's hope that um, it doesn't catch hold in any uh, way or form and that we are able to uh, preserve life and uh, at least, and more than that, um, uh, prevent people from uh, the discomfort of the illness that uh, it results in, uh, this, particular bar uh, this particular bacteria. Now, that uh, brings us to the end of uh, this particular news review. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned before, if you do have uh, uh, any thoughts on uh, any of the items that we discussed, then please do call in. 0208 is uh, 6877878 is the number. And if you want to use Twitter, you can do that. Uh, the Twitter handle is Voice of Islam UK. Right, so we're going to go to a very short break. After the short uh, break, uh, we will uh, change our directions to addressing the first of our main stories, which is can you drink alcohol and live a healthy life or have a healthy lifestyle? So don't go away. Stay with us. 
back in half a minute. Storm clouds forwarding us of a third world war are getting heavier by the day. The effects of such a war would last for decades to come. Generation after generation of children would more than likely be born crippled or with genetic defects due to the lasting effect of the radiation. Thus, it is the urgent need of the time for mankind to work towards safeguarding our future. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show, The Voice of Islam, uh, with me, Walida. When the time is uh, approaching 7.32, it's Friday, the 21st of October, 2022. And as mentioned before this very short break, we'll be addressing the first of our main stories. It's about can you drink alcohol and live a healthy lifestyle? Uh, something we picked up from the CNN uh, website. Uh, now, the overview uh, of what this has to say is essentially that alcohol is a psychoactive substance with dependence-producing properties that has been widely used in many cultures for centuries. The harmful use of alcohol causes a high burden of disease and has significant social and economic consequences. The harmful use of alcohol can also result in harm to other people, such as family members, friends, co-workers and strangers. Sober October, dry January and dry July. For one quarter of a year, these campaigns provide a motivation for people to come together and challenge themselves to go without alcohol. These periods reduce alcohol consumption uh, uh, and um, um, in order to do that, uh, they are becoming um, uh, effective and becoming more popular. The author of uh, this Naked Mind Control Alcohol uh, said she is seeing more and more people evaluate the relationship that alcohol plays in their lives. How much is it is too much? Uh, the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention classifies moderate drinking as two drinks or less in a day for men and one drink or less for women. But two-thirds of adult uh, drinkers uh, report drinking more than those levels at least once a month, according to the CDC, CDC being the Center for Disease Control. The pandemic didn't help. A December 2020 study found that 60% of respondents increased drinking over the year, and more than a third said they engaged in binge drinking, which is defined as five or more drinks on an occasion for men and four for women. Studies show that alcohol isn't good for healthy living. There is no safe amount when it comes to, uh, to heart health, according to the World Heart Foundation. And even moderate drinking reserved for the weekend can have social, emotional, and psychological impacts, according to a 2022 study. Now, we'll be discussing all this with, um, with uh, Khalid Safir. Uh, Khalid Safir is a happiness uh, teacher. He is going to be put on in a couple of minutes' time. Um, but as far as this particular uh, um, item is concerned, uh, CNN on their website says that Sober October could be a step to cutting out alcohol entirely. But it doesn't have to be, said 
biological um, uh, psychologist, uh, psychologist Aaron White, senior scientific advisor to the director of the National Institute on Alcohol uh, Abuse and Alcoholism. Whatever your level of drinking, a month-long sobriety challenge could help you to be more mindful about your drinking. Um, um, this is what Aaron White uh, said. Uh, and there's uh, a few s- um, um, facts and figures about uh, drinking and the impact it has on our uh, uh, on our health and on our lifestyle. So discuss this uh, further. Let's uh, speak uh, to Khalid Safir, happiness teacher. And I did mention you, uh, a VOI skeptic. Uh, Salaam alaikum. Thank you very much for joining us on The Breakfast Show. Walaikum salam, peace be upon you, Walid Saab. How are you doing? Uh, not too bad. All the better now. I can hear your voice. It means that Excellent. everything is running smoothly. <laughs> I'm having a positive <coughs> effect already. Great. <laughs> there you go, yes. Yeah, yes. Your your reputation uh, precedes you well and uh, truthfully and accurately. Anyway, right. we're talking about alcohol. Um, is a little alcohol uh, every night good for us? Well, I mean... I think there's a sort of an elephant in the room that needs to be addressed because it's a bit of a strange question if you kind of look at it from uh, the correct perspective. Like, if I said uh, me and you, Walid, so we're going for a night out and uh, the highlight of the night is going to be me putting an electric cable in your ears and, uh, you know, disabling part of your brain... Just, uh, you know, what would be your reaction? Would you be, like, excited about such a night out? Yes, but um, uh, but those people who consume alcohol says that uh, it relaxes you and enables you to enjoy the evening better. Sure. But, so if I said, you know, uh, let's disable your brain just a little bit, would you be excited? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I mean, I, I wouldn't go near alcohol anyway, as you know, but... Uh, sure. But, uh, so, uh, Fictitiously, fictitiously speaking. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, like a little, little, little brain damage would be good. No, <laughs> but, no, um, no. Of course not. But that's yeah. not the way that you, you, you. Most people perceive alcohol as. That's doing, true. You know? I think that's a really good point. So movies like you know Hangover One, Hangover Two, Hangover Three, they kind of give a very different impression of what alcohol is, but. Let me answer your question more directly. Mm. Um, So even a little bit of alcohol on a regular basis will eat away at your brain. So that's the the scientific evidence. So they technically, they call it the thinning of your white and gray matter. That's pretty much all your brain. So even a little bit of alcohol is really bad for you. Um, It used to be like the older evidence was like, oh, maybe there's these chemicals in red wine that's a bit good for you. But in fact, in reality, you have to drink so much for any of that (laughs) good, good stuff to even be of any benefit. By then, you'd be drunk anyway. So Mm. uh, the short answer is basically no. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, just want to kind of add in, I still think... It's a, I still think it's a, it's a crazy question in ways. Um, what I mean by that is, like, um, you don't, like, as a Muslim, we're never really particularly, we're not looking out for the latest information about would there be maybe some health benefits of alcohol or not, because 
I think in short, we're too happy with our lives to escape it. That's be my short answer. So it's like, why do we even care about wanting this tiny bit of alcohol to possibly have a good time if you're really happy with your life already? Mm. Um, but yeah, short answer is, it's all bad for you. Zero alcohol is the best amount. <laughs> but you see, I'm also trying to approach this from uh, an Islamic angle as well. Yeah. Um, because we are told in the Holy Quran that there's some good in it as well. Yeah. And I'm just wondering whether this is one of the areas where good can be found when alcohol is consumed. It is forbidden. Uh, let me, before I get uh, yeah. uh, I get sanctioned for what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm just I'm saying that there, there no. are yeah. it's it's uh, evil. Uh, certainly yeah. outweighs it's is good, but maybe this is where the where the good is being mentioned uh, or being referred to when the, the Quran uh, refer mentions this. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I I thought about this because you know the Quran does say there's some good in it, right? Yeah. And maybe there were older forms of alcohol, um, possibly uh, that were good, you know, like in the ancient times or something. Uh-huh. Um, but now the data is literally not from like Muslims or anything. The data is zero alcohol is the if you want good health, zero alcohol is how much you should have. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. And uh, what about? I mean, you're a coach as well, a lifestyles coach, and this and this is from that yeah. vantage point that I think I'm 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 hoping you'll address the question. Is that? How does moderate consumption get out of hand? What is it about the human nature that mm. when it starts uh, to indulge in something like uh, consuming alcohol, that it can easily get, get out of hand? Yeah, I think I, I like that you pointed out something about human nature, right? Um, it's more to do with human nature than the alcohol itself. So mm. uh, there's a massive misunderstanding of um, how addiction works in the first place. So people think, alcohol is addictive by itself and that's not true and you can easily demonstrate that so alcohol comes into the category of opioids which is basically just painkillers and um, so if your grandma goes to the hospital uh, and has a hip replacement she will be fed loads of drugs okay basically uh, heroin well the best quality heroin that would be morphine Right, and you don't get you see your grandma coming out as a junkie. Do you know what I mean? Getting yep. addicted. So it's not the alcohol itself that is addictive. It's actually, and um, this is what the experts in addiction will tell you: people hate their lives so much that they just want to end the depression. They mm-hmm. don't. They just want to numb the depression. So that's kind of the root of the problem. And Islam talks about this as well. There's a beautiful verse that describes uh, addiction in, you know, chapter 4, verse 40, mm-hmm. um, which is basically, you know, if you, if you want to look it up, it's talking about addiction as being a sort of a chase of the mirage. And the mirage is basically um, an illusion that disappears when you reach it. So you're chasing and chasing. And so alcoholism is just trying to numb that addiction and it's numbing emptiness in your life so the when you said um, what is it about human nature that addicts us it's missing something 
And the experts in happiness, probably the greatest expert in happiness, Viktor Frankl, said uh, meaning is essential to happiness and the ultimate meaning is God. Okay. So if I was trying to give a really simple answer, is people are missing God in their lives. And, and this, is, this is like, this is science, this is psychology, not even spiritual people talking. Right. Um, so people are missing God in their lives, and it's making them depressed, because depression and uh, addiction are very strongly correlated. So they're missing something desperately in their life, which is essentially God. And the way they're dealing with it is trying to numb it with alcohol. So... If I was giving you one answer, the deeper answer, the root of the answer is the mm. missing God. Mm -hmm. And then Islam also gives some other interesting answers. Um, so when describing alcohol, it calls it, the, the really rough translation is abomination. Right. But if you go into the word, what that really means, it's like the suggestion of a devil. Right. So every adult addict will totally understand what that means, right? They're like... Yeah, it makes me do bad things I wouldn't normally do. Right. But to kind of explain it a little bit better, uh, one of the kind of reasons why people are excited about having alcohol is because they feel more relaxed. Okay. But that's because it's numbing part of your body. So you, sorry, numbing part of your brain. So you don't really function properly. You're essentially becoming a child in a man's body, mm -hmm. a woman's body, right? So you have less power to control your bad impulses. So it's like it helps you go down a slippery slope. So that's how kind of, that's the other reason why a little bit of alcohol can slowly make you weaker and weaker and get into addiction. So those okay. are kind of the two main things. All right, very interesting, right. Um, uh, is alcohol a good drug if it helps people to socialize? Right, so, I mean, the way I see it is... Um, uh, or rather, not really, I just see it. Uh, I, I like this definition in Islam of what a sin is. Like sometimes some people go, oh, why is Islam saying don't do this and don't do that? I, I love the definition of sin in Islam, which is, first of all, it's something bad for you, but also it's something that's gone out of the boundary. So basically, you have a need. Yeah. So the reason why people take alcohol, it's not like they're just randomly doing it. There's a need. Okay. It's like, for example, they, you can broadly call it socializing, right? Um, but it's been taken, misused or gone out of the boundaries is the description. The word sin is ism in Arabic, and it means going out of the boundaries or basically trying to fulfill your needs in an unhealthy way. And so let me give you a couple of examples, because I see Islam as a religion of the better alternatives. Like, instead of wanting to socialize or um, trying to socialize with the aid of alcohol, um, let's kind of go into it a little bit. So why, why do you need alcohol to socialize? Um, if you need alcohol to socialize, first of all, that tells you something about yourself, which is you're essentially scared of people. Like, why would you need that? Like, if I'm talking to you, I don't need alcohol. I know, I know anybody, so I'm just a pretty chilled guy. Just talk to you, no problem. I don't need alcohol to talk to you. So if I need alcohol to talk to you, that means I'm scared of people that I need to do that. And that's basically true in our modern society. We really are uncomfortable of other people. Um, and so there's lots of beautiful solutions, mm -hmm. uh, 
psychologically, without getting into too much, maybe I'm giving a long answer yeah. or something, but Islam makes you basically... I'll give a very short answer. In religious communities, um, and especially as Muslims, we treat all of each other as brothers and sisters, mm. so we don't have this sense of being scared of other people. There's so many other reasons why people take alcohol, and Islam's got so many beautiful solutions. Yeah. Like, for example, people want to meet uh, another man or woman to get married, um, yeah. and that's naturally an uncomfortable situation. And Islam uh, suggests uh, what I would call... Most people call arranged marriages, but I call I call it community-assisted marriages. Yeah, you know, just make there's so many solutions, but I don't okay. want to make the answer too long. No, no, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. you've done very well. Thank you very much for <laughs> okay. uh, coming Thank on, you. and uh, being a happiness coach, it's good to see or uh, good to hear your laughter as well throughout right. uh, this interview. Good Thank well. you very much, uh, okay. and uh, we hope to be contacting you soon for discussing something similar. Uh, right. when it comes to happiness uh, in the future. Thank you very much. Good talking to you. Sorry. Likewise. Wa alaikum. Right. Um, we've also got uh, Dr. Laura Kuzmana uh, on the line. Uh, she's an assistant professor in the Institute of Applied Health Re- Research at the University of Birmingham. Birmingham. She holds a, B- a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's in social research methodology and a PhD in social policy. Um, so it's great uh, to have her on the line. Thank you very much, uh, uh, pr- uh, Professor. Can I call you Professor uh, for joining us? You can call me Dr. Laura if you like. Thank you so much for having me here today. Oh, it's wonderful. Uh, can I begin by asking you, I mean, how would we go about knowing if alcohol is harmful if found in other forms like food? Well, scientifically, I think it would be really important to look at you know, trusted research studies and sources of guidance. Of course, there's the NHS, the National Health Service, your GP. There are also organizations that review and produce guidelines, such as the National Institute of Clinical Excellence. Ideally, when looking at research studies, it would be really important to assess it, um, to think about uh, whether there was a control group that, that didn't receive alcohol, an intervention group that did, and kind of looking over time at people to see what changes and when they include alcohol in food. Right. Uh, we're reviewing um, the consumption of alcohol with respect to uh, a healthy lifestyle. Uh, what does it uh, mean for people to be healthy and well? I think health and wellness is really more than just the absence of disease. It's also about having you know, a positive mental state, too. It's not just physical health and in the absence of you know, physical unhealthiness. It's also about subjective or mental well-being and, and happiness. I heard you use the word happiness with your last caller, and I was mm. really pleased to hear that. I think something called the pleasure purpose principle is really powerful. It's the idea that we need to be doing things that bring us pleasure, that is joy and happiness, as well as things that feel purposeful, uh, such as meaning and worthwhileness. Work, for example, might might not be very fun or, or happiness-inducing for everybody, but it can be meaningful and worthwhile. Do quite a bit of work in that space, how we can design environments at work to improve pleasure, purpose, and also health. And how can we, uh, how can the general public find out if some things like alcohol or exercise are good for health and uh, and wellness or well-being? It's really important to seek out, you know, again, trusted sources of evidence. 
So when looking to speak to experts, for example, to make sure that there's someone that is truly an expert on alcohol or exercise, do they have published articles on this, for example, um, if they conduct you know, research studies in this space? Is this an area of specialty um, if they uh, work in the medical profession, for example? Um, and again, looking at you know, really trusted sources of, of guidance, um, whether it's local authority, um, the NHS, the GP, the, the National Institute for Clinical Excellence, again, I'm really evaluating the source to make sure that they have kind of our best interest in terms of health and wellness at heart. Hmm. Are, are there any, any public health measures being taken to reduce the complication of excessive and unhealthy consumption of alcohol? Yes, very much so. So I work on uh, local government uh, workplace health and well-being initiatives, and these provide kind of information, guidance, and standards to workplaces on how to support the health and well-being of their staff. Um, For example, here in the West Midlands and in Birmingham, one's called uh, Thrive at Work, and workplaces can sign up to receive information and guidance and advice on healthy lifestyles, including alcohol and substance misuse, which they could share with their staff. Um, Elsewhere, you know, in Northeast and North Cumbria, there's one called the Better Health at Work Award, and there's also one in London called the London Healthy Workplaces Award, and anyone can sign up to these. They're free, and they help, uh, and we help um, support employers to support their employees um, to be healthier and, and to be well, and this includes kind of information, guidance, and advice around alcohol. Um, local authorities and other campaigns um, nationally, too, uh, will uh, refer to, to other campaigns and public health measures, charities, and, and so forth. Uh, would you say, according to your experience, that as a nation we are uh, excessive drinkers, and to what extent are we making progress in reducing that? It's a good question. I don't know the answer offhand, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm not uh, an expert in alcohol consumption and frequency itself. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do know that uh, people do, I think most people do want to be healthy and well. This This is a goal for them. And when alcohol interferes with that, um, that can be a problem. And it's really difficult, if, even if people want to change their behavior, even if people want to become healthier and happier to change their alcohol use, to go about doing that. And I do think we can do more to empower people to be able to make positive changes in their life. Hmm. You talked about being happier and well. Um, that's, uh, that's offset by, by bad habits. I mean, how can we get rid of bad habits and inculcate good ones? It's really hard. Even if people want to change their behavior, the evidence shows that it's very difficult for them to be able to go about doing so. There's something called the intention behavior gap. Even if I want to start drinking or go to the gym more, um, those good intentions won't actually lead always to uh, behavior change. There are ways to close the gap. A lot of times people uh, think about how they can um, consciously or cognitively change their behavior. How can I think myself into wellness? But actually, some of the best strategies are about how we can change our environments to make it easier to do the things that bring about health and wellness. Um, For example, if I want to go for a run, leave my shoes out in the morning. There's also some really interesting evidence that the best time to change a habit is when there's another big change in your life as well, such as when you move home, because all of the cues in your old environment are gone. Mm. And there are new cues and there are new opportunities to change in your new environment. Um, and you can you can take advantage of those. So it's hard, but uh, keep at it. 
what, what do you think about the future? Do you think that uh, the future bodes well for us as far as happiness and well-being is concerned? That's a great question. Kind of like the stock market, right? It's difficult to predict. Um, certainly here in the UK, uh, we're facing some real challenges in terms mm. of the cost of living crisis. Um, politically, things are, are quite difficult at the moment. Um, we also have turmoil uh, uh, politically, uh, you know, further abroad. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's really difficult. Poverty, war, um, these are things that are not good for happiness and well-being. Um, it's not just an individual phenomenon. And so I think we need to be um, careful to look after um, those in our communities. Certainly. Thanks very much uh, for coming on. Thank you for uh, speaking to us, Dr. Dr. Laura Kudununa. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me here today. Pleasure. Bye-bye. All right, moving on, uh, uh, let's uh, just uh, uh, dip into what uh, is the Islamic perspective uh, is regarding uh, this particular topic. Uh, I suppose it's no surprise, I'm sure uh, you would know that Islam, the Holy Quran is very clear that the consumption of alcohol is forbidden, is forbidden in Islam. The Quran also states that there is some benefit in it, and this is something that we were alluding to when talking to uh, Mr. Khalid Safir. Um, but then the Quran says the sin of its consumption is greater than the benefit. On multiple occasions, the Quran enjoins upon the Muslims uh, to ponder and think about the universe uh, and the world around them. This push by the author of the Quran, Line, in other words, uh, further helped and drove uh, Muslims to continue pursuing knowledge uh, and new ways and inventions in benefiting mankind. Uh, thus, uh, wisdom dictates that uh, though the consumption of alcohol isn't uh, permissible, its use in a way of striving for the well-being of mankind uh, is allowed. A thorough study of history and prohibition movements tell us that in all uh, of human history, just one single instance is found in which alcohol prohibition was successfully implemented. This revolution took place in the 7th century Arabia, and the movement in question was led by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, through his practice, uh, presence, teaching, and spiritual power the Holy Prophet first changed the prevailing mentality and perceptions surrounding the act of alcohol consumption. Once this was achieved and the time came to forbid it completely, prohibition was instated in a, in a slow and gradual manner. Three verses of the Holy Quran detail this revolutionary process. Uh, first, uh, the, the believing Muslims were simply discouraged from drinking uh, alcohol, drawing attention to the fact that there was greater that there was uh, a greater evil than benefit in intoxicants. Uh, this is in chapter 2, verse uh, 220. Then Muslims were forbidden to pray while intoxicated. And uh, this is chapter 4, verse 44. And the fact that there were uh, uh, five prayers spread throughout the day from before sunrise to after sunset encouraged sincere Muslims to shun the habit. And finally, um, alcohol consumption was deemed an abomination of Satan's handiwork and was definitively and strictly forbidden. This is found in chapter 5, 
verses 91 to 92. Uh, such a radical change in attitudes prior to the implementation of scriptural injunction is not found in any other religion except Islam. Uh, from the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, from the time he received his first revelation, it took between 16 to 18 years of education, patience, prayers, and gradual restrictions from Islamic prohibition to be fully instated. And it worked. When the Prophet, peace be upon him, announced that alcohol had been definitively forbidden, Muslims immediately poured out whatever they had left in stock to the point that alcoholic drinks were seen flowing through the streets of Medina. It must be mentioned here that Islam recognizing, uh, recognizes that its strategy of prohibition, if implemented suddenly instead of gradually, would be just as effective as that of prohibition in America. As Aisha, peace be upon her, uh, may Allah be pleased with the wife of the Holy Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, narrates, when people embraced Islam, the verses regarding legal and illegal things were revealed. If the first thing to be revealed was do not drink alcoholic drinks, people would have said we will never leave alcoholic drinks. So this is uh, uh, pointing to the wisdom in which this particular teaching was um, was passed on. So <clears throat> we are fast approaching the 8 o'clock news. Uh, we'll say a few more on what Islam says on this afternoon. But uh, until then, do stay with us. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show of the Voice of Islam with me, Wadi And The time is uh, two minutes past eight. It's Friday, the 21st of October, 2022. Interesting uh, listening to that uh, news report uh, about Stephen Jarrod being uh, sacked uh, this morning. Um, he was one of those who uttered those... Uh, those uh, fatal words uh, that I'm a fighter, not a quitter. Uh, the same words that, uh, sadly, the Prime Minister also uttered uh, on Wednesday and was uh, found to be a quitter the next day. Uh, a bit of an irony there. Anyway, we were talking before the break about alcohol and alcohol consumption and uh, the Islam's approach to it and how it... Um, uh, dispensed this particular injunction uh, very effectively. The Islamic injunction concerning uh, intoxin- intoxicants is that alcohol is forbidden. Or ye uh, we who believe this is the verse of the Quran, uh, translated, wine and games of chance are only an abomination of Satan's handiwork. So shun each one of them uh, that you may prosper. Satan seeks only to create enmity and hatred among you by means of wine and games of chance and to keep you back from the remembrance of Allah and from prayer. The word, uh, Arabic word al-khamar is used in this verse, which means anything that intoxicates or alters the mind. Thus all forms of intoxicants are forbidden. Dare I say drugs like cocaine and heroin would also uh, fall into that category according to many, many commentators. The verse clearly explains the problems created by the use of intoxicants. First, they lead to hatred and enmity among uh, uh, people causing murder, violence, immoral behavior. How true is that? And secondly, they lead people away from Allah and his religion. Allah wants the believers to keep their minds pure and clean so that they worship him fully. 
a Muslim may not uh, offer prayers when he is not in full possession of his senses, even if that is caused by excessive emotion or a state of sleep uh, or sleeplessness. Certainly a mind that is intoxicated is not able to focus on Allah. Uh, And finally, it is important to note that alcohol and drugs, for that matter, are used as a means of escape from overwhelming difficulties and responsibilities. The attitude of one who has truly embraced the teachings of Islam cannot be compatible with with this state of despair. A true Muslim places his reliance on Allah for the relief of hardship. When the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, proclaimed Allah's commandment concerning intoxicants, his followers broke their pots and jugs of wine until the street flows with it. (coughs) This is the example for the new convert to, to Islam. Anyway, uh, there's a lot more that can be said about that, but um, uh, time is not with us. Uh, we have to move on to the second part of our main uh, story, uh, and this is a change of tag. We're looking at International Stuttering Awareness Day, ISAD for short, um, and uh, something we picked up from uh, their website, the Stutter uh, World um, Stutter Organization, westutter.org. Um, it, and the um, <coughs> gist of it is uh, stuttering is a disruption in speech pattern involving disruptions or dis, uh, disfluences in a person's speech, but there are nearly as many ways to stutter as there are people who stutter. <coughs> Now, to discuss this subject uh, further, I'm pleased to note uh, my throat is giving way, but uh, I'll try and soldier around as best I can. Uh, but my, my screen shows that uh, Carol and- Andrews is with us. Carol- Caroline Andrews is a speech and language therapist and lecturer at the University of Strathclyde. Thank you very much for coming on uh, to discuss this subject uh, with us, uh, um, Caroline. Shall I call you Professor Caroline? Um, I, it's an inflated status. I think Carolyn will do. Um, I've not yet reached the heady heights of professorship, but, um, but thank you for the compliment. That's okay. It's only a question of time, I'm sure. Um, uh, when we're talking about stuttering, how prevalent is speech and language issues among the population, and what, what are the different types of uh, of language deficiencies? Well, speech and language therapists will work with a variety of difficulties covering things like um, speech problems, so it's the way that our, uh, how we say things, the language, how we find the words that we want to say, um, perhaps the sound out of our voice, um, and general communication difficulties, so how we interact with, with others. So this means actually we will work with people from premature babies to those over 100 years old. Um, and it, it's a fascinating job, but um, it's really important because we know that um, almost 20% of people over their course of their life will have some kind of communication difficulty. Um, we, more than half the children in socially deprived areas might start school with some kind of difficulty. Um, and we know that more than 60% of young offenders um, have difficulties with speech, language or communication. But um, that aside, obviously, we're here to talk about stammering. And that's one of the other aspects that speech and language therapists work with, with children and adults who stammer. Mm. Uh, now, coming to stammering, then, uh, how is it diagnosed and uh, what kind of treatments are available? I mean, is, is tripping over your words uh, also classed as stammering? 
No, the the features of stammering, they, I heard you say that they vary from person to person, and that's certainly true. Um, what you might be able to see or hear is speech containing repetitions of s- 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 sounds, for instance, uh-huh. or it might be whole, whole, whole words. Um, there might be sounds that are stretched out, and sometimes maybe speakers find that no sound comes at all. So these are the kind of things that you will see or hear. But the speaker might also be doing a lot of work underneath to swerve words they find difficult, maybe anticipate a listener's reaction. And some of those mental gymnastics can certainly be really exhausting. Right. Can it can it be cured? Um, we don't talk in terms of a cure. Um, there's some really interesting research um, now that we now know stammering is neurological. So it's now considered a part of a natural brain difference, a natural human variation, rather than any particular defect. Um, And that changes therapy. So rather than just focusing on correcting speech, if you like, um, we're thinking about the bigger picture and making sure that people feel able to um, order a coffee in a coffee shop. They can apply for the job that they want. They can make friends that they want. Um, and they feel that they can achieve what they want in life. So it's really important for people who stammer, their families, their friends, to know that actually stammering isn't a reflection of intelligence or personality type, and and people who stammer can achieve the same life goals as people who don't stammer. Mm. Um, You use the word stammer. Is that uh, the same as stuttering? Mm. Yes. Yeah, it's exactly the same. Stammering tends to be used in the UK and stuttering often in America and the rest of the mm. world. Is it is it hereditary? Uh, we know that King George VI suffered from uh, stammering, but uh, the Queen didn't, uh, and uh, neither uh, do her children apparently. Um, no, they, you're you're right with those uh, facts, and certainly we see that more men the women tend to stammer mm-hmm. um, but it cuts across um, all populations, all cultures all ethnicities um, and some clients will certainly report that there is a family trait of stammering while other people will say that there isn't necessarily that hereditary factor there mm-hmm. And for those people who are suffering from this, I mean, what kinds of services are available in the, in the country, in the UK? So in the UK, um, people can access support in a variety of ways. So speech and language therapy is primarily provided by the NHS. And anybody interested in accessing those services can either go to their GP and ask for a referral or they can contact their local service and make the referral themselves. Mm. Um, There is a national support organisation called STAMA um, and their website is simply www.stama.org. And they've got a wealth of information on on their website, which is brilliant. Um, there are personal stories. There's advice around perhaps managing stammering in, in the workplace and education. And they do amazing events. They had a five-day um, stammer fest in Liverpool in August, which was fantastic. And actually tomorrow, as part of Inter- International Stammering Awareness Day, there um, are petitions being taken to the London and Manchester offices of BBC and ITV to campaign for more stammering voices to be heard in the media because we just don't really hear them enough. And as this normal variation and just as a normal way of speaking, we need to we need we're campaigning to try and hear these more in the in the public arena. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I've got a note here about uh, oromotor exercises. What are they? So um, they're exercises where somebody would practice repeated movements of particular sounds or maybe particular words. Um, and they're not actually used with stammering. And although they have been used with people with a stroke, they've not really got great evidence there either. Um, but it's a really valid question because actually some people might be wondering, if I practice something over and over, will I get better at it? Um, and I've worked with clients for whom it has been really important to maybe practice in the mirror and, and have this routine. But there are other ways of transferring skills um, from a very specific setting in front of the mirror to, to conversation. So we need to make sure that therapy always um, considers everyday situations with the pressure of talking with unfamiliar people or groups or, or, or with strangers. Mm. To what extent would you say stammering is due to physical impairment rather than mental or psychological uh, difficulty? Previously, certainly the psychological difficulty, something was understood as perhaps being a symptom of anxiety, mm. um, but we know that that's, um, that's not true. So people who stammer aren't necessarily any more anxious per se than other people who, who don't stammer. So this, because it's neurological, we know that the brains of people who stammer simply work in a slightly different way that means we get these sort of misfires in, in speech um, and what then we hear is, is, is stammering, those repetitions or the, or the stretched out sounds. Right. Anyway, thanks very much um, um, for coming on, uh, Caroline Andrews, soon to be Dr. Caroline Andrews, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me and for sharing this topic with your listeners. I'm well, delighted. Wonderful. I wish you all the best for the rest of the day. Thank you very much for coming okay. on. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Right. Uh, uh, moving on, uh, we will be speaking to Anita, Anita Blom, uh, born and raised in the Netherlands, uh, living in Sweden. Uh, she worked as an operation manager for the Workers' Educational Association. She has been a board member, uh, uh, including chairperson of stuttering organizations on local, national, European and international levels, and an advisory board member of several international stuttering organizations. She was a national and international keynote speaker on stuttering and her own stuttering consultant company was one of the stutter social hosts, was a project leader of several stuttering projects and twice member of the year. She was also uh, a leader of national and international children and youth camps for over 20 years. Uh, so we hope to be speaking to her very shortly. In fact, my screen tells me that she is on with us now. Thank you very much uh, for coming on. Uh, Ms. Blom, uh, thank you very much for coming on to uh, speak to us on The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Can you hear me? Good morning. How is everything? Uh, uh, fine, thank you. Um uh, let me um, uh, start with asking you, uh, uh, for, the, you know, for the benefit of listeners, can you tell us about the history of ISAD, when it was formed, and what it is? So, ISAD is the International Stuttering Awareness Day that was formed between, um, that, actually, that actually originated between the UK and Ireland. 
Okay. And it is to promote a studying awareness uh, throughout the world. Okay. And uh, uh, when was it formed, did you say? I think it was formed 17 years ago. I think. Did you say 70? 17 years ago. Oh, 17 years ago. All right. Um, were you the co-founder? Uh, no. Um, so I am the uh, so I am the uh, co-founder of a organization called uh, Stuttering Awareness Mental Wellbeing Ireland, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a goal to share a, a platform in Ireland with the United States President Joe Biden. Okay, and that is what we are working on um, in South Ireland. Right. Can you tell us uh, a little bit more uh, about this year's team uh, that the ISAD has uh, has proposed of being seen and heard and normalization into the mainstream? So, um, it has International Studying Awareness Day will feature every national uh, body uh, around the world who uh, who are dealing with uh, stuttering. So they have uh, combined together for uh, one day to promote the issues and the uh, stigma based around uh, stuttering uh, throughout their own uh, countries and also around the world. Okay. Yeah, now, um, what kind of... Um, can you tell us um, about um, uh, your journey with, uh, with stuttering? Yes, yes. So when I was three years old, I fell and I hit my head and I ended up knocking out my four front teeth. And it was from the impact of hitting my head, I uh, developed a stutter. And over the next few years, you go into uh, primary school as a young child. And it's very, very difficult when you go to a school and you can't say your name, you can't say where you're from, or you can't introduce yourself to other people. Uh, following on from that, I went to a second level, uh, second level school, and I'll always remember that day itself because we were in the assembly and it was the first day meeting new uh, new uh, students. And I was in the assembly and there was 98 uh, students in the, inside the room and they all have to say their name, where they're from, and their hobbies and interests. And I was the third last person and it came to me and I could not say my name I I stuttered very very badly and the whole room started to laugh and I think that was the first moment where I kind of felt um, a feeling of uh, difference Mm -hmm. and that certainly left an impact on me uh, for the next few uh, for the next few uh, years Mm -hmm. and following on from that I went to university and I did my first presentation there, and it was supposed to last 15 minutes. Um, it lasted 20 minutes, and I did not get past the first slide because I could not introduce what I was going to uh, to, uh, to actually speak about. So I left that room with a lot of shame, guilt, and embarrassment. And I reached out, and I asked for help. And uh, luckily, I got that help from a fantastic man called Michael O'Shea. And over the last uh, 12 years, then, I've been working on uh, myself and my mindset to try and 
uh, break free from the mindset of a stutterer and um, but I'm uh, thankful now that um, I have uh, broken free from that and I am now the co-founder of an organization in Ireland who offers peer support to people who stutter from all over the world mm. uh, via online and uh, we are currently reaching out to the United States uh, President today, Joe Biden. We have come together as uh, a country to recite the poem, The Cure of Troy. It was the same poem that was recited to President Biden during his presidential inauguration. Right. Um, can you, I mean, going back to your experience at university where you were doing a presentation that lasted 20 minutes, were you able to complete that presentation? No, I am. Ah. Unfortunately, I did not get past the first slide. I see. So it lasted for 20 minutes, but uh, those 20 minutes were all expended on trying to get the first line out. Is that is that what you're saying? Yes. Ah, yeah. okay. Um, I, I, I couldn't say my name. I couldn't uh-huh. introduce the topic I was going to talk about and uh, 20 minutes when you're stuttering can be like a lifetime it could be like three hours mm. did you did you find that the the audience being more uh, mature were uh, more understanding than the school children um, at the start um, at the start no but it was at only when I I told everybody in front of the class that I have a problem and I have a issue with my speech and it is something that I'll be working on for the next few years. It was only uh, that moment where you um, used uh, disclosure mm-hmm. and it's only that moment that you know, people uh, understand. They were very nice, they are very helpful. Um, they gave you the time, the patience, for you to get out exactly what you need to say because uh, no, um, whether you have a stutter or not, um, everybody, um, what they have to say is important. Hmm. Uh, can stuttering be a barrier to being successful? And if so, how can you overcome the challenges that it poses? So I think that when you have a stutter, I think... Um, Many people overcompensate in other areas in life. There is um, fantastic uh, sports people uh, who have uh, who have a stutter, and um, we always kind of seem to overcompensate in other areas in uh, in relation to their uh, writing skills, uh, their uh, their uh, sports, and um, I think if you want to be successful. I think it is down to yourself to put in that time and uh, effort to do so. But I do think that in well, some cases it can be a barrier in uh, in relation to interviews, in relation to trying to secure a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're going for those type of uh, situations, it can be uh, very, very difficult. Right. Especially if the job would require you to be uh, talking a lot or for example, a, a customer service desk. And when you have a stutter doing those jobs, it can be very difficult to uh, properly relay the information to the interviewers 
and they might not feel comfortable with you doing that task. But I think now, no, it is uh, 2022 and we live in a more inclusive environment. And uh, we hope that uh, you know, uh, that people who have a stutter, we would now like to think that um, that they would be able to secure the dream job that they want. Mm. Do you think there's sufficient awareness of this uh, problem? Uh, what, are, what, are, what more do you think governments can do to help people raise awareness? I think the key is early intervention with with kids. I think I I can know that know all over the world, and it's not only Ireland. Is that uh, is that waiting list itself to get help could be up to four to six years, and when you have a waiting list of that for four to six years, uh, it means that early intervention then is gone. And the earlier you can get a child help and and uh, support, uh, the better it is for the child's uh, development. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is certainly a case, for example, in the UK, you have a, a fantastic individual, um, Ed Balls. Right. He was a former uh, minister in the English uh, Parliament. Yes. And just by him actually speaking out about it, that itself created awareness on a national level in the UK. Mm, Here mm. in Ireland, you have uh, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney, mm. who has a stutter, and even by him, as he uh, speaking about it, it creates awareness everywhere. Right. Okay, very interesting. Um, now, you've done quite a bit of fundraising. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about... Uh, uh, what uh, kind of activities you've engaged in, and also if uh, our listeners want to support, uh, how uh, give you support? How how can they go about doing so? So our organisation, we don't have any. Uh, we don't have any uh, fundraising. We don't have. Uh, we don't have a, a a budget. We do everything we do on a uh, zero uh, budget. It is just a lot of time and energy and uh, passion. And what we ask people to do is to support us online. Mm-hmm. And that is by or, or and that is by typing the organization uh, Stuttering Awareness Mental Wellbeing Ireland and just simply uh, liking a post or by resharing it onto other platforms because the power of social media is more important than any uh, funding one might have. Right. And um, um, uh, what do you think about uh, the future? Do you think that uh, people are going to be more tolerant and aware uh, of this uh, of this um, problem and more uh, sensitive to it, rather than, the, than, than than having the experience that you've had to face, unfortunately? Of course, yes, mm-hmm. yes. There is, there will be uh, some exciting things happening within the next few uh, years. Right. For example, um, uh, Google uh, Play will is uh, is uh, the chief executives are working uh, on that for uh, for uh, Google Play to recognize uh, verbal differences and uh, stuttering right. for their voice recognition. Um, 
there are many organizations in the UK you have a you have a national organization called uh, called Astana uh-huh. they are doing some fantastic work in the UK mm. um here in um here in Ireland we will try our best to get uh to get a Joe Biden here he is a very proud Irish man and we hope that he will address the issue of uh, stuttering and if the United States president Joe Biden uh, would and it would that he do that uh, it would just create awareness on a global scale because his position affords him unrivaled public at public attention okay um, and well. I think that throughout uh, throughout throughout uh, history there are many people to be um, inspired by from uh, Winston Churchill uh-huh. to Elvis to Ed Sheeran to Bruce Willis and oh. now you have the United States President Joe Biden right. and these are all I know these are all fantastic examples of highly successful uh, mm-hmm. uh, people who have a stutter right okay very interesting didn't know that um Thanks very much for coming on, Jamie. Um, I, I'm sorry I got your introduction wrong. You're the, you're the co-founder of Stuttering Awareness Men- Mental Wealth Being, aren't you, in Ireland? Yes. Yes, yes uh, my apologies. I didn't get that uh, quite right. Uh, so, Jamie Guggen, thank you very much for coming on to The Voice of Islam. I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your, for your opportunity. Wonderful. Thank you. Right. Let's, thank you. Let's uh, move on. I we have uh, another uh, expert. I understand uh, uh, on the line very shortly, uh, and this time it is going to be Anita Bloom, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Uh, born and raised in the Netherlands, living in Sweden, uh, she worked as an operation manager for the Workers Education Association. She has been a board member, uh, including chairperson of stuttering uh, organizations uh, on local, national, European and international levels. Uh, thank you very much for coming on. Um, have I got the right name? It's Anita Blom, is it? Yes, it is. Good morning. Oh, uh, yes, good morning. Thank you very much for coming on to speak to us on uh, The Voice of Islam uh, regarding stuttering. Uh, for the benefit of our listeners, can you tell us a bit more about the history of this organization, ISAD, when it was formed and what it is? Yeah, the 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 ISAD doesn't mean that we said like I said <laughs> yeah. uh, on the on the contrary. Um, uh, it means that, that we want to raise awareness of stuttering as ma- many people don't know what it is mm. or, or how to react to personal stutters. And many still still believe in the stigma around stuttering. So the International Stuttering Awareness Day, um, uh, which is on October 22, began in 1998. And um, uh, it's a wo- worldwide conference sharing a wealth of perspectives of, uh-huh. of, of stuttering and we unite to to raise awareness and work towards creating a world that understands, accepts and supports people who stutter. Right. <clears throat> and it's even even recognized by the European Parliament, Parliament uh-huh. in 2005. Uh-huh. Right. Can I just ask uh, ask a question around about uh, uh, stuttering in languages? I mean, those people who 
who can uh, speak a number of languages? Do they find that there are certain languages where they are they stutter more in, as opposed to others? Yeah, that's true. I speak uh, um, Swedish, Dutch, English, um, uh, a bit German, a bit French, uh-huh. and, and it's different. Um, uh, when I speak Swedish. Um, I I stutter less when I speak German. I stutter more when I speak Dutch. I I I stutter like um, mid 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 severe. I mean, it, it is very 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 different because of the of the of the language, the grammar, but but also how how charged it is with uh-huh. with emotion. So. So as my youth was very very tough, so speaking Dutch, and also also carries along a lot of e, e, emotions. So such uh-huh. a thing can differ very very much, even from one one moment to another. Uh, so so languages that are more emotional give way to more stuttering. Is that is that have I understood you correctly? Um, well, well, it is for for. For for me, because uh, I am used to when I was when I was living in 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 Holland, people were judging me very very much because of well, of my speech. Mm. So so I started more. So in 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 Sweden, but, but where I live now, people are are less judging. Maybe right. maybe maybe also because I'm older now. Yeah. And uh, my then my speech is more fluent, but it's also the grammar. It's the, it's the it's the music of the language. Uh-huh. It's, the, mm-hmm. it's the it's the different ways of of speaking as well. Mm-hmm. So it has a lot of things. Right. Coming back to ISAD, um, uh, what's the theme this year? Um, uh, can you tell us about that? Yeah, we have this very very Im- important. Uh, seen. Um, uh, I was seen, seen and heard because of my stutter when I was young, but it was not not for my skills or my p- p- personality. I was seen and heard because of my stutter. Mm-hmm. So everything was based on my on my stutter. I was not seen for my skills, but just for my stutter. So this year, the theme is to be seen and heard, and. Um, uh, you have probably seen seen movies and docs about stuttering, but do they really really represent us, or or do they increase the myth, like uh, um, uh, like the teacher Quill in in Harry Potter? He was evil. He was faking his stutter. Mm. Uh, co- com- computers, they they are said to stutter. Uh, we are still hearing, did I stutter? To express uh, annoyance, uh, King 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 George wasn't cured, although the king's speech is like pre pre pretending that he was. Mm. There were lots of VIPs who no longer stutter, and there are the role models. Mm-hmm. Why inside those who stutter but who still speak, they are my role role models. So so people who stutter are being judged ashamed and ridiculed and discriminated and we are still told to become fluent so nice. to become silent and why do we need to be fixed mm. maybe it's it's so, so society that needs to be fixed mm. we can't speak right. it comes out in a in a 
in a different way. And do you tell a person in a wheelchair to get a pair of legs? Mm. Or do you force, force a person who can't see to 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 read a, 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 a normal mm. book? So why can't we just talk the way that we do? Right. What, what if touching could become something that just is? So it's not wrong, it's not weird. Just a part of society, like... How how amazing would it be for a child to watch a cartoon where one of the of the char- character stutters, but without being labeled in any way, mm. or, or or having a person who, who stutters on a game show or in a series, and not because they stutter, but s- simply because we are part of society, mm. and it's time to get rid of the shame and the stigma around stuttering. So. So we need to free free our voices and speak up and show our starter because we have the right to be heard. Mm, we have a mm, voice. Mm. So uh, that's, I suppose, is the theme. What about earlier themes in previous uh, yeah, previous years? Can you tell us something about that? Yeah, we have different different themes every year, and mm-hmm. to me, the uh, theme that we had that we had a few years ago was stuttering pride mm-hmm. and and it, it might seem hard to find pride in stuttering as there are so much so much shame from 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 society and 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 especially the media and so much guilt from people who, who, who stutter but also from the parents no. and stuttering can be seen as something that's completely wrong and some some people think that it's their 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 um, uh, that is their fault that the children stutter. We are they are hearing that stuttering is a curse or or a religious punishment, but it's not. It's not a psychology, uh, a psychology mm-hmm. uh, psychological one. It's yes. a neurological one. So how can we feel pride? Mm. Uh, we do watch the Paralympics. Where uh, uh, people with different disabilities doing mm. what is hard, but we are doing it every day, all day, and we jump hurdles and we go through hoops, trying to meet people's expectations, but we still keep on going. Mm. So we, so so we do go for that job that we are qualified for, yeah. and we and we make this speech at our daughter's wedding, and we are making this this. These phone calls on 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 the on on the radio. So that that's that's stuttering pride. We are doing something that's hard, but we are doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's an international uh, event. Uh, this Awareness Day. I mean, how many, how many people join from different parts of the globe? Well, that, that's that that is hard to 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 uh, say say um, uh, because we have this. We have this international online conference through isad.live, mm. mm. um, um, where you can meet people who who uh, stutter. You, you can meet speech speech therapists, but also um, um, parents and teachers and employers, neighbors, family, and friends. Everybody can can join and. And read it and then ask and reply. So we don't know how many people are there, and we don't know how 
how many people actually c- celebrate the ISAD mm. because it is a day of 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 such a pride. It's a day of of celebration. So um, uh, it will all re-resolve re- in this amazing day to tomorrow, where we are really really going going out there and, and showing our our stuff there. and the ISAD dot, dot live online conference is is also 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 a great way for people who want to know more about stuttering to go and ask the panel of people who stutter and the panel of uh, 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 therapists where you can ask the questions that you wouldn't ask ask to other 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 people maybe but right. here you have the experts because mm. we we are the experts on our our our, our stutter mm. although it's, so so society thinks that they are relation there Ah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um yes, um you you're um, um you you own a stuttering consultant company. How what's the function of this company? What does it do and is it expanding? Well, I I did, but but um uh, that, that, then I turned ill because, um uh, so I had to stop it. But the thing the thing is to well, it was meant to be to be giving Giving talks about stuttering because we have to uh. we have to let people know we have to let we have to let, let the children know the children in school that they are good 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 you know mm. we have to we have to let the teachers know that they should help help these children that they have the legal rights to get yeah. help from their teachers we have to. We have to talk to the politicians. Mm, mm. They have to have to have to pro, 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 provide therapy and yeah. and, and uh, research, mm-hmm. and then also 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 companies because um, employers still 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 think that that there's something wrong that we are less 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 capable. So mm. so, so the company was was. Uh, um, uh, meant to 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 talk about stuttering, which right. I ha- have been doing for 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 many many years, and I even spoke to the to the U- U- European Parliament because we have to get the word out that stuttering is okay, and we have the right to stutter. We have the right to speak. Mm. This is mm. this is how we speak. We don't need need to be fixed. Right. This is how we speak, and that's it. Okay, so there's a lot that society has to learn um, lessons on acceptance and sensitivity Definitely. in this regard. Yes. Now, thank you very much for coming on. I wish you all the best in the future, uh, Nita Blom. Uh, thank you for coming on to speak to us at the Voice of Islam. Thank you for 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 uh, having me and and to all the all the all the people who who started listening. Have a great day and. Have a cake, children. Have some, have some ice cream because this is our our day tomorrow. So have fun. Wonderful. Have a great day. Okay, and thank you very much. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Right. Bye bye.
Right, uh, moving on, uh, we've got uh, Shamina soon. Uh, Unlocking Language is uh, the organization she's representing. Um, I'm just uh, going to see if... Uh, hello, Shamina, are you on the line? No, it doesn't look like it. Uh, she's been put through just yet. So it'll take a little bit of uh, time, I suppose, uh, our intrepid... Uh, uh, Technician, engineer, Mohammed Shafiq is making sure that we can make contact soon. Um, there is an Islamic perspective to all this, of course, and uh, uh, in, uh, and that's something that we will be covering uh, after we've spoken to Shamina. Are you? Can you hear me, Shamina? Hi. Yes, I can. Right. I've just got the first name. I'm sorry, I don't have a, uh, a second name. Um, and I've got uh, a note about Unlocking Language. Is this an organization that you represent? Yes. Um, so I'm Shamina Rabi. I'm the consultant speech and language therapist, but I'm also the founder of Unlocking Language. Okay. And we provide speech and language therapy across London, Essex, and since the pandemic, globally, because of telehealth. Okay. Um what is what is uh, UCITX, U-S-I-T-X? Is that is that the organisation you represent, or is there something different? Um, I'm I'm not sure what that is, but okay, um, neither am I. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> we represent. I represent Unlocking Language, All right. uh, which is the speech therapy provider. Okay, maybe it's a misprint on my on my notepad. Anyway. Um, so uh, the aims and objectives of uh, of unlocking languages to help those people who have difficulty in expressing themselves would I be correct in that Absolutely yes okay. um so we work in schools and we also run our own clinics where we see children and young people who have difficulties with their speech language communication or social skills Mm. Speaking to Anita Blom earlier, um, she is somebody who has also suffered from uh, 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 stammering. And she says that, you know, why do you consider us as having a problem? Society should just accept us uh, as we are. What do you say to that? Um, I, I absolutely agree. Yes, um, you know, I, I think it doesn't really matter how you present. Um, we need to accept people as they are. Um, but, you know, as speech and language therapists, yes, we do work with children, young people and adults who are stammerers. Mm -hmm. And as I always say to them, you know, we're not there to cure stammering right. because it's not something that can be cured necessarily. But we're there to develop some strategies to make that person a more confident communicator. Mm. Um, and if we can give them that confidence to be able to communicate, no matter what difficulties they have with their speech, um, then I think we've gone one step forward. And of mm. course, there's the whole topic of the unconscious bias, so how people actually perceive someone with stammering, as right. opposed to the stammerer themselves. Right. Uh, we've been through the pandemic. Has that affected uh, those with speech impairment differently? And how so? Yes, massively. So just in general, there's been a huge surge in speech and language delays and in stammering. Um, mm -hmm. So children are, they have less vocabulary, less words. They're unable to form um, sentences. They've got difficulties with 
socializing um, because they've had fewer opportunities to develop these skills. So almost sort of two years, they were homebound. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of children were exposed to the screen. It is difficult when you're a working parent at home trying to manage everything in a pandemic. Um, and that doesn't necessarily give you the opportunity to communicate. So there's been a high number of children now coming in with um, speech and language general language delays but mm-hmm. it also because of the anxiety that surrounded the pandemic that increased the number of stammerers that were coming through the door all right and uh, uh, you know you mentioned children how can young children be supported in schools and homes to achieve their potential and overcome hurdles like stammering well the, the number one thing is just speak to your child um, keep the screen away so um if we can just go back to how we were raised sort of 20 years ago without the screen mm-hmm. when you would hear everyone talking take them with you when you're going out to meet friends um speak to them so when you're walking to school uh talk about what you can see when you're at home talk about what you're doing if you're cooking get your child involved and talk through um you know h- how you're making a curry talking is the key here um involving them in conversation and giving them those opportunities to be able to speak back to you um and then once they are speaking to you expanding their language so you know if you have a child that says mummy hungry you would say oh yes mummy i'm hungry um so you're you're expanding their language and giving them that Uh positive feedback oh very interesting Um, um is early intervention important Oh, absolutely, definitely. Um, I think early intervention is, is is so key because when the child is between those ages of zero to five, they really can soak in a lot more. They can learn things. They learn language by participating in those interactions because that's the time when they're at home. So you can mm. interact with them in so many ways. And I, I mean, I must mention that play is so important. It's a massive part of early intervention. And I feel that we sort of people have become more reliant on the screen but that's not play play is when you know you have the cars and you're playing with the cars and you're developing language that way so yeah it's it's really important so that they can soak that in and 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 learn those those skills and also you know if your child does have a language delay let's not think okay they'll grow out of it let's just wait and see actually early intervention here is key to just get in and start repairing those wires Mm. And uh, I've got a note here about pecs um, um, in the importance of uh, body language. Um, how is that significant when uh, you are helping children? Okay, so pecs is a um, communication system where you're using cards that have symbols on it. So we normally use this with children who are non-verbal. They don't actually have language. So it's a way for them and the um, other person to be able to communicate so instead of talking they're using symbols so the child might give you a symbol of um, a packet of crisps because that's what the child wants mm-hmm. and then you say oh you want crisps and so you're trying to develop the language but at least giving them a communication system so there are different communication systems out there that are not speech-based that are very helpful for children with autism or who have severe down syndrome or who are non-verbal um, and that's what PECS is and the importance of body language. Well, sometimes we forget that body language also is a way to communicate. So there's pointing, um, there's gesture, there's signing. Um, so there are uh, 
actual systems such as um, uh, British Sign Language or Makaton, which um, are signing systems again for these children, so we can look at developing those skills if they are non-verbal. And uh, finally, do you have any advice for parents and families with children with the uh, condition, and how how can can others be supported with you know condition of uh, um, difficulty in uh, in expressing themselves? Mm, Absolutely. Well, the number one thing, as I said before, is speak to your child first of all. Start talking to them throughout the day. Almost feel like you're a commentator. but, you know, um, think about also how you could expand their language and the communication skills. So joining a local preschool group, seeing what's available for free in the local um, children's centres. There's lots of groups that you could take them to. And these are great because they look at their peers and they copy them. They learn from children their age. They have the opportunity to play. Um, if you are a bit concerned, oh, actually, my child's language does seem a little bit delay, then just get a referral. You can go to your local GP and they will refer you to your local speech and language therapy team. And I think that's quite important because even if you have an assessment and this actually there's not too much to worry about, they'll give you some key strategies and techniques that you can use. Great. Thanks very much, uh, Shamina Rabi. Unlocking language. Thank you for coming, coming on. Thank you. Thanks for the time. Wonderful. No, pleasure. Thank you. Wish you all the best for the future. Thank you very much. Wonderful work you're doing. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that was uh, Shermina Rabi. She is, uh, uh, as I mentioned, uh, representing Unlocking Language um, and particularly focusing her attention on uh, on children. Right. Uh, moving on, uh, there is, of course, an Islamic uh, uh, angle uh, that uh, we can also uh, mention. Uh, the uh, Holy Quran uh, states that nothing is said to thee uh, but what was said to messengers before thee, thy Lord is indeed the master of forgiveness and also the master of painful chastisement. This is in chapter 41, verse 44 of the Holy Quran. The allegations which the non-Ahmadi Muslims uh, raise against the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community uh, are the same uh, allegations which uh, uh, which uh, uh, opponents of other prophets had raised against them. If a prophet has a slight stammer, how could this possibly be a threat to Islam? The belief of the non-Ahmadi Muslims is inconsistent with this allegation. It is stated about um, uh, the prophet Moses in the Holy Quran, He said, My Lord, I fear that they will treat me as a liar, and my breast is straightened and my tongue is not fluent. Therefore send word to Aaron. This is in chapter 26, verses 13 to 14. And Allah also states, And my brother Aaron, he is more eloquent in speech than I. Send him, therefore, with me as a helper, that he may bear witness to my truth. I fear that they will accuse me of falsehood. This in chapter 28, uh, verse 35. If stammering was objectionable, then why did Allah the Almighty choose the one who stammered and was less eloquent? The Holy Quran makes it clear that the Prophet Moses could not speak eloquently, but despite this, he is accepted by Muslims and many others as a prophet. Nor do the non-Ahmadi Muslims or uh, others believe that Moses was a grave threat to the religion because of his stammering. 
However, when the anti uh, or the non-Ahmadi Muslims want to mock the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community as an Ahmad, they raise the same allegations which were raised by by the Pharaoh. Allah made it clear that the true prophets are mocked in the same ways. In the commentaries of the non-Ahmadi Muslims themselves, a lot of tales are written about stammering. In uh, Ruhul Mani, chapter 19, page 65, I suppose Ruhul Mani is a, is a scholarly work. Uh, it is stated, because of the atmosphere of suppression, the Prophet Moses was not able to speak clearly. This is a common experience, for example, when even the most eloquent people are struck with extreme grief, their hearts are overwhelmed, and as a result their speech falters and they cannot express themselves. Um, so this is uh, basically um, a, a rejection of the allegations made by the uh, by the opponents of the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community. It is interesting that some of the Muslim scholars raise the issue and say uh, he had a slight stammer, while other clerics say they reject him because he did not have a stammer. Uh, the second group have not done their research on the life of the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, which is why they ask for this sign to be present in him. And they ask for this uh, sign to be present in him because um, um, there, is, there are uh, uh, sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that point to the fact that the, uh, uh, the Mahdi will have, uh, will have a, a stammer uh, and it has been stated that the awaited Mahdi, this is in uh, one of the uh, uh, commentaries, Tafsir Ruhul Mani is the, is the work, uh, that the awaited Mahdi would also stammer and when he would not be able to express himself, he would strike his left thigh with his right hand. Um, so this is uh, why um, um, certain groups of uh, non-Hamdi Muslims expect him uh, to have a stammer and say that they, he didn't have one, and others uh, uh, criticize him for having one. Um, so they want to win, uh, win in both cases. Um, but the fact is that there was a stammer, and that does not in any way disqualify somebody from uh, the office of, uh, of prophet. Um, so <clears throat> I think um, that is all we have really time for, because... The nine o'clock news beckons, and uh, we've only got a couple of minutes left. Uh, time uh, to thank uh, those who have worked in the preparation of this uh, particular broadcast. In particular, uh, uh, the producer Nargis uh, Nasser is worthy of her gratitude. So thank you to her. Uh, Salia Bakhtiar uh, is, uh, was one of her researchers, as was Hannah Ahmed and Neha, Neha Latif, all uh, worthy of her uh, thanks. So, uh, and lastly but not least, uh, our uh, intrepid, very efficient uh, engineer working in the control room, control room, making sure that everything ran smoothly. Uh, Muhammad Shafiq is his name. Uh, so thank you to him. And uh, let us not forget those experts who uh, gave up their time in order to uh, speak to us uh, on the show, uh, Khalid Safir, uh, the happiness uh, coach, uh, um, graced our airways, as did Dr. Laura Kudunna, assistant professor at the 
uh, Institute of Applied Health Research in the University of Birmingham. And then for the second of our main topics, we spoke to uh, Dr. Carolyn Andrews from the University of Strathclyde, uh, a speech and language therapist, uh, and also to Anita Bloom, board member and chairperson of stuttering organizations, local, national, and international levels. Uh, Jamie Gogan, Gogan was also with us. Uh, she, he is uh, the founder of Stuttering Awareness, Mental Wellbeing being in Ireland. And finally, we spoke to Shermina uh, Rabi, uh, representing uh, Unlocking Language Organization. Thank you to all our listeners for joining us. Uh, in a few seconds' time, we'll have news. Until then, as uh, and uh, join us again next week on the Friday Breakfast Show.